Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm just over here picturing uh, the phone call between Magic Johnson and Lonzo Ball, which surely took place, you know, in the last couple of days, where you know Magic rings up Lonzo and he's like, "Lonzo, uh, you know, it's come to my attention that you're in something of an internet beef with Kyle Kuzma. Is that correct?" <laughs> Lonzo's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "So I understand that." Within this beef, you released a rap song in which you questioned whether Kyle knows who his father is. Is that correct? And Lonzo's sort of like sheepishly like, yeah, yeah, I did that. And Magic's like, you know, I just would prefer if you guys could kind of just tone it down maybe for the next like two or three weeks because we're just, we're out here. We just have a big suburb. We're trying to sign LeBron. We're trying to sign Paul George. We're trying to trade you for Kawhi Leonard. Can you just, you know, maybe just kind of, tamp it down or just postpone the beef here for a couple weeks can you do me a solid on that and by the way can you tell your dad to shut up too (laughs) it's the perfect way to start off the nba summer is with the young lakers I, i just pulled up this uh notification that was on espn yesterday it was nba the Lakers have asked Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma to stop roasting each other publicly. And this this is the league I love, okay? And we we are through the playoffs now and back to like full-on anarchy and it's all going to start and end with the Lakers this year and it's going to be a fun 6 weeks. Yeah, I mean, I I can just see uh, Magic and Rob Palinka huddled nervously over a conference table looking at, you know, just like replaying Lonzo's SoundCloud uh, links and thinking, man, do you think this is going to turn Popovich off? Like, we really need to deal these guys to get Kawhi to make our big three here. This is a huge part of our pitch. What are we going to do? And and Palinka's in like his self-driving car on the way home, just mulling his options. I mean, this is, you know, peak hilarity for the NBA summer. Don't forget that we now have LeVar Ball coming out of the woodwork once again. He was he was silent for the last four or five months, but now he's making the rounds on the interview circuit, and we'll get to that later in the show. But I'm glad that he's going to be involved in this as well. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever actually listened to some of Lonzo's rap? I listened to that one uh, just because of the newsworthy factor, and I did not believe he would go there. You know, Quote, unquote, newsworthy. Okay. Well... I mean, it's going to be a big deal when he gets introduced as the the new face of the Spurs. He's going to get asked questions about it. Uh, No, but I don't think he's very good at rapping, Andrew. Yes. Well, I haven't listened for two reasons. One, because I kind of figure it's it's pretty brutal, and I don't I, I like. I don't know when I hear someone who's really bad at rap. Like I recorded some some rap songs in college, and like oh no, just. I'm sure they would be absolutely excruciating for anyone to listen to now. And that's kind of how I envision Lonzo's rap. And then at the same time, if it's good, like I, it would probably make me feel really, really old and out of touch. So there's really no good outcomes that that could come from me listening to a Lonzo track. All right, we got to start this podcast over. I don't think you want to admit <laughs> that you had a rap career because that's going to get dug up online. It was but... bad. It was really, really bad. I don't want to admit that. But... What was your stage name? Uh, I don't. I don't really know if I had one. And well, did you I'm really have a career? To think too hard <laughs> to remember it. <laughs> um, well, so, I'll say this listen. about Lonzo though. He has 
better rapping than he gives quotes in his post-game press conferences, which is a very low bar. But it's a great I point. actually think if he just wrapped his post-game press conferences, everyone would be better. <laughs> We'd have more you know, juicy sound bites. We'd have more to work with instead of just mumbling through everything like he does uh, in front of the camera. So you know that could actually be a new direction. He might want to take things uh, as he's trying to sort of revive the big baller brand after he gets shipped out of town this summer. It's true. There is a lot of mumbling in the Lonzo press conferences. Um, But listen, we have a lot to get to today. But before we really dive in, because we've got stuff from all over the league here, we need to mention the winners of the open floor bracket challenge for the playoffs this year. And I will begin, Ben, by listing the the three runners-up this year. Um, First, we had... VP of Giannis Inc., Dan Schaefer, a, a longtime listener and Bucks diehard. Uh, so shout out to him. And in coming in uh, in third place, we had PP Doug LA, Doug Perry, who uh, had he actually was tied for second um, with 400 points, and he was tied with Elizabeth's potty mouth. <laughs> Uh, Blake Mitchell, shout out to him as well. And then the winner is Blog Boys Relax, Tay, <laughs> who finished with 405 points. And hey, if there was one message that we all know Kevin Durant was looking to convey this year, it was Blog Boys Relax. So congrats to Tay for sticking with the theme of the finals. And please get in touch with us via open floor mail or at twitter um and we've got some random shit to send to you uh ben you said you had some final swag and i I have a kelly Oubre bobblehead with jt's name on it well andrew i'm proud for two reasons the first reason is that we just hosted a global contest where the winners were vp Giannis inc blog boys (laughs) a relax uh, and Elizabeth Potty Mouth. If that doesn't sum up what this podcast is about, <laughs> I don't know what does. And <laughs> and to the winner, uh, I will throw in not only my free NBA Finals travel tote, which is like a little man purse that they give to media. Look, it's an exclusive. Probably only a few hundred of these were made. It does say to, uh, 2018 NBA Finals on it. I will also throw in, uh, as I know everyone will want, uh, a Warriors commemorative issue from Sports Illustrated. So it's going to be a full package he's getting. But Andrew, I'm proud for a second reason too, and it's this. What? Uh, I did beat you in this year's tournament uh, fairly handily. Uh, I, I had 300 points and you know you had 155 points. But I do want to point out, Andrew, in very true open floor-like fashion, because you actually entered two brackets, your combined yep. score of 155 oh, plus 155 actually equaled 310. So technically you scored more total points than I did. <laughs> I was more efficient at 300 points per bracket, but you had greater volume at 310 total points. And I also want to point out, uh, you know, because I'm a reality-based person, you actually scored the same on your reality-based bracket as you did on your Wizards winning the whole thing Oh, my bracket. God. And I <laughs> no. think that's that's very symbolic, Andrew. I think in the future, you just need to say, you know what? Forget about reality. I'm just running all the way with the pipe dreams because it's going to get you to the same place. You know, that really cuts deep because I was getting ready to come back with 
you probably were looking at the wrong bracket when you noticed my score and I picked one joke wizards bracket and that's the one you saw. And then I was going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go in after the podcast and check what I actually scored and then never do that. And that was how we were going to resolve this bracket challenge. But you're right. Look, there's a lot of shame around the bracket challenge for me this year. I like I'll be a hundred percent honest. If I hadn't lost my mind and picked the Rockets a day before the playoffs, I probably would have been a lot more diligent about monitoring this and monitoring the standings. We would have been talking about it along the way. But as as soon as we got a week into the playoffs and I realized that I had cast my lot with James Harden. I just wanted the whole thing to go away, and uh, so I'm glad that you 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 got your moment in the sun. But I'm also ready to move on. No, you are the bracket getter, though. You know, very similar to the bucket getter. <laughs> if you just go up by volume, you got three ten. Right. So I I got a volume hand it to you. shooter. That's me. Um, well, listen, the finals are over. The playoffs are over. The summer is here. And it's time to get back to our roots. We've got a bunch of questions, so let's jump in. The first one is from Elliot, who says, Regarding your last podcast, why would anyone want Paul George on their team? Do they not have eyes? Do they not see how, they, how he crumbled when the pressure was on in OKC? Paul George is a glorified Jeff Green. Whoa. And Ben, we're st- <laughs> we're starting there because this is the energy I have missed lately. We've been getting 50 emails a day arguing about the Warriors, but where have all the emails been calling Paul George a glorified Jeff Green? This is we're back. The NBA is back. Yeah, this is a haters ball episode because I'm looking at your rundown right now and you just have like the first five questions are just like, does this player suck? Does that player suck? Is this player horrible? Is this guy worthless? <laughs> it's like, okay, glad everyone's just emptying the chamber. Uh, in terms of Paul George, I actually hear what he's saying because you know Me Paul too. George, he was a hostage in Oklahoma City. I mean, he wasn't really given the opportunity to play with purpose or with a purpose because uh, you know he was just at Westbrook's mercy for much of the season. He really did have some nice moments. Uh, I thought throughout the regular season, his defense was very strong. And then in the playoffs, he had some real highs and then some real lows offensively. And that's pretty typical of who he is as a player. I guess Mm -hmm. my counter would be this. like, If you're LeBron or if you're any team that is trying to be quote unquote obsessed like Daryl Morey with taking down the Warriors, Paul George is just about as good as you're going to find in terms of a Kevin Durant stopper, right? I mean, he's not yeah. Jeff Green when it comes to that task. Now, do you want him to get into a shootout with with Kevin Durant and trade hoops and you know turn it into a street ball game? No, you don't want that because he's going to miss a lot of long twos and he's going to complain about calls and he's not going to get uh, his points as efficiently as he needs to. But if I'm LeBron and I'm trying to make a super team, this summer, a guy like Paul George is probably higher on my list that he might be just in a complete vacuum because yeah. of his ability to be that matchup for KD. Yeah, I hear you. I just like that I forced you to explain that Paul George is not Jeff Green. Um, but I did this. There's a kernel of truth in this email, which I think you agree with. And it's something that I alluded to on the last podcast. I think the the player that Paul George imagines himself to be is not the best version that he could be. And I think he he sees himself in that superstar 
KD Kobe image, and uh, and that's not the the best version of his game. And so, well, slow like, down, slow down. Let's call this version you're describing. Let's call that Gatorade P, because that's obviously who he wants <laughs> to be. Gatorade right? commercial P, absolutely. G- Gatorade P. So, what team do you think, if you're Paul George or his people, what situation, what team, what super team do you think has the best opportunity of unlocking Gatorade P? Well. <laughs> I don't know. They're two different things. Gatorade P, I don't think is ever going to be very good. I think he may have peaked with the Gatorade commercial. So I think if he went to Philly, for instance, he would go in there expecting to be Gatorade P and it would look great for like four or five months during the regular season and then get kind of complicated during the playoffs. I do agree with you, though, that putting him next to LeBron kind of puts a ceiling on his Gatorade potential and he would be amazing playing off LeBron. And, uh, and I think that like that could work really well. I think if, if you're asking him to be a better version of Kevin Love, like I'm in. Um, but if you're taking LeBron off the team and giving him another star and saying, all right, we're going to contend with Paul George and player X, like I don't put Paul George on that level. Yeah, I mean, that is the one big regret that I have from last summer is that the Cavaliers weren't able to complete that proposed Paul George deal. And remember Dan Gilbert, like that kind of slid under the radar. But remember when he was like calling out the Pacers and being like, you could have gotten a better offer for Paul George. And like, obviously, like history kind of proved him wrong because Indiana got a great offer for Paul George. But, uh, you know, as it turned out, we didn't realize that at the time. You know, certainly we were guilty of, of misreading it, too. But uh them not being able to cinch that deal basically caused this entire season of chaos. They had to rely on right. the real Jeff Green, not like Paul George <laughs> as Jeff Green. And so yeah. I think if I'm LeBron, that is a true temptation about the LA possibilities. You got to imagine that if you're Paul George and you want to be Gatorade P, you'd rather do that with LeBron on the Lakers than with Westbrook in Oklahoma City, right? I mean, can't we agree? That's a pretty sure. pretty clear no-brainer. Uh, so if I'm LeBron and as I'm kind of going through these different scenarios and, you know, kind of weighing, okay, who's going to be my new, you know, number two star, number three star, because you know, that's how LeBron is thinking. It's, it's how he engineered the first move to Miami. It's how he engineered his move back, you know, lining up the pieces so that he could get Kevin Love and so forth. Uh, Paul George is right near the top of that list. You know, if, if LeBron comes out of this on a team that doesn't have a Kevin Durant stopper, he's not going to be any closer to winning a title next year than he was this year or last year yeah absolutely and i think his defensive what he brings on defense is going to end up being his greatest contribution to a potential title team and uh you know we'll see he'll i'm sure he'll have his gatorade p moments but uh hopefully he he gets with lebron and turns into like the world's greatest role player which i think is his best case scenario but Moving on to the team that, I don't know, I I personally look at Paul George and and think it's like an 80% chance he leaves OKC, but he could potentially stay. And here is a question from Hayden who says, is there any way the Thunder can move into the Rockets-Warriors level going forward? Is there a possible trade for Carmelo Anthony that wouldn't require the Thunder to give up too much? Ben, what do you think about OKC right now? Just even reading this question made me sad, like on their <laughs> behalf. <laughs> like, I mean, is there a trade? Yeah, if you trade Westbrook for Curry, you might be a contender. Um, no, I don't. I don't really see it. I mean, I think I told you this when 
they signed Westbrook to the extension. I didn't see a scenario where they were going to make the Western Conference Finals at any point during that deal. They cashed in an awful lot of their chips to sort of build something around him short term. If I was Paul George, I would leave this summer. Uh, If I was Carmelo Anthony, I would be trying to negotiate a buyout. Uh, And I think if you're their front office, your core is Westbrook and Adams you know, the kind of the true lifers, you know, and, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to try to repackage and, and resell that again next year and let him get his triple doubles and win 45 games and, you know, try to, you know, salvage it with your pride or whatever else you want to call it. I mean, I, I think that their miscalculations and, and what backfired last summer uh, is going to sort of define them this summer. Yeah. I mean, think about how much they had to go above and beyond to get those guys, the type of risk that they had to take on to even land a Paul George uh, and a Carmelo Anthony, I, I think that the scale is even higher. And if I'm anyone else around the league, if I'm a you know a Kawhi Leonard, for example, and I'm trying to like choose my destination or maybe like force a trade or or whatever, uh, guys are in that situation. I don't want anything to do with Oklahoma City. I mean, no offense, but we saw how it worked. I mean, it did not work at all in the postseason. It was a joke. Uh, you know, they came undone for the second year in a row, and I'd be running the other direction. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems more likely than not that everything that happened last summer is going to wind up haunting them for the next few years, particularly Russ's extension. I mean, that is not going to age well. And we knew it, we knew that the second he signed it. And so this it, it was always kind of an all-in thing that could potentially be worth it in the first year or two and then was going to get kind of painful and complicated down the line. On the scale of like, you know, one to actually untradeable, like we just drafted LeBron number one overall in 2003, and we're never going to trade him under any circumstances. Where does Westbrook fall? Like, is he sort of like, quote unquote, untradeable? Is he still untradeable? Because you kind of sunk so much sort of mental energy and sort of his personality. And it's very difficult to break away from sort of your cult like figure, I think, if you're that franchise. But is he really like upper echelon absolutely untouchable this summer in trade talks or could you see a scenario where they would start to think about it like if george if george leaves and you can buy out mellow you know do you think about it yeah i think it's a little too early to start having that conversation i mean if i were running the thunder i would be having that conversation but i think that there's so much history there and he is such a consistent draw for them that like they it would shock me if they were ready to move on at this point. Um, and as far as, so you're asking if you're the thunder, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's going to be another year or two and then it will be much easier because I think a couple of these seasons are going to be pretty bleak and both sides are going to look around it and, and look at each other and say, maybe it's best to move on. Do you think Westbrook, really is going to be ready to move on at some point. I mean, the level of smugness on his Instagram video when he's singing, you know, mocking (laughs) the Warriors, you know, he's singing the old rap songs, mocking the Warriors on Instagram right after their title. Does he want more than that? I mean, he's, you know, cashing out $40 million a year. You're the face of the franchise. Everybody loves you. And then every June, you can just kind of like, you know, take your passive aggressive digs at KD. Does he really want more from his basketball life or is he good? Yeah, I mean, I do. I did see that video and be like, man, this is this is really all Russ has at this point. Yeah. And uh, more power to him because he does have room to take shots at KD. And I think there are a large segment of basketball fans that would agree with him. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's pretty lame now. And it's only 
I, 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 the reason I think it's possible that he could move on in two years is because I think anyone who, who, who doesn't see that happening is underrating just how dark the next couple of years at OKC can be if they, if they go a certain way. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but you know, if I George do, leaves, this team's firmly on the on the playoff bubble too. By the way, I mean, I think that that's a real concern for them. And so, I think if you're, you know, Sam Presti, like you can't just take a pass on this summer if things don't go well. I mean, they're going to have to try to get into the mix and do something because, uh, you know, the the whole premise of what they've been trying to do here. You know, if they miss the playoffs next year, I mean, that is where it starts to get really, really dicey. People would be calling for Billy Donovan's head. I mean. There'd be all sorts of backlash under that scenario. All right. So last point here. I don't know how we wound up talking this much about the Thunder, but just give me a little bit more room. Mellow to the heat. I think that that could actually make sense for both sides this summer because you look at that OKC team and they're going to be super thin if Paul George leaves. And you could, I don't know. I Like if I were the heat, and looking at my team, looking at the the deal they gave to Dion Waiters, the amount of money that James Johnson is making, I would think really hard about taking Mello on an expiring deal and giving James Johnson, Dion Waiters, and maybe someone like Tyler Johnson to OKC. And I think that leaves both teams in a better spot going forward because it, like. I want Miami to be in position to chase some stars over the next few years. And right now, like they've sunk a bunch of money into a team that's never going to be better than that seventh seed. So why not roll the dice? And and if you're Carmelo, he has a, he has a no trade clause. Like South Beach is one of the only places in the NBA where he's probably going to sign off on that deal. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of that trade as a salary dump. You know, if you're Miami and you can find a way to do it, I don't like it as a roll of the dice. I mean, we know what those dice are coming up, Andrew. We're, Mello's rolling snake eyes, okay? We don't need to try to roll the <laughs> dice again. We did that last year. Um, but the other thing I'd say, wouldn't you just love to be there when they do that vaunted, like, body fat check-in test on Mello <laughs> <laughs> that they put all the players through? You know, Dwayne Wade famously came in. Uh, during the middle of the season after being in Cleveland and had to sort of like get himself back into shape a little bit. I mean, good totally. Lord, can you imagine? Yeah, it, it, apparently that was a big part of Waiters' transition as well. Um, yeah, that's a great point. See, this is why we need it to happen. I think it would be, one, good for the Heat, two, make the Thunder a little less depressing, and three, we go on the Carmelo body fat adventures in South Beach, and who knows what's possible. I could see them getting him into amazing shape, and I could also see him like starting a cold war with Pat Riley over his body fat testing. So we'll, we'll look, see I what mean, happens. If, if LeBron goes to the Lakers, Melo should be pushy for this because he might start in next year's All-Star game for the Eastern Conference, you know, depending on how that goes. I mean, he really might. I mean, it's that bleak out there. I think it's going to be all five Celtics starting for the East next year. Our, our guy 12-time makes his first appearance. Um, but let's move on. Christopher says, my question is simple. Is Kevin Love good? What do See, you think? This is what I mean, Andrew. Come on, man. You're just setting these is people he, though? up so we can I, Here's up. the thing. Here's the thing. Kevin Love has been super helpful in spots in Cleveland, but I also think that he has disappeared. Like, Kevin Love's a really good guy, and I think that people look at his career and feel 
bad the way things have gone because he's been sort of marginalized next to LeBron. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody would have wanted a little bit better for him. But uh, looking at the modern NBA and the way he just gets exposed and pushed around against some of the best teams in the league, like, I don't know. I think there's a, a, a much lower ceiling with Kevin Love than a, a star in a similar position, like most of other all-stars. I reject basically everything you said. I mean, talk about a guy who was failing body fat uh, tests early on in his career and stuck in Minnesota. I think if you told Kevin Love at this point of his life, hey, zoom back to when you were 21 years old. You're going to go to four straight finals. You're going to be a perennial all-star. You're going to be one of LeBron's sidekicks. You're going to have a championship ring. You're going to have played a key role in that in game seven in in 2016. And yes, people are going to you know pillage your name constantly. I mean, you're going to be... Uh, in every possible trade scenario, you're going to be, uh, you know, the butt of all the criticisms, uh, but you are going to have all these accomplishments and you're going to make the Hall of Fame. I think Kevin Love takes that. I mean, if you compare what he was dealing with in Minnesota to even what he's dealt with in Cleveland, I mean, night and day, I think he, he would, uh, you know, gladly go back and, and redo the history just as he did. Not to mention, this guy is cashed out huge uh, in terms of uh, not only his own contract, but he's gotten some deals like, you know, he's he's a advertising for like banana republic like do you think he's getting that deal if he's a, a timberwolf no it's so, true I, you I, know, I think he's a pretty good spot and not not just defending like his character or his place in like life like i think he's okay. a pretty good player too i mean he had some really nice moments in the playoffs he was uh consistent look he got made look somewhat bad by the warriors just like everyone else basically on that team did besides lebron uh but in a warriors free world uh you know he's looking at a situation where he could be, you know, a two-time or a three-time champion, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, wait, did you say in a Warriors-free world, he'd be a three-time champion? Yeah. Don't you think? But the Warriors do exist. That's why I'm saying this is a little bit Well, look, bit I'm an expert on reality, too. But, like, <laughs> he has one title. He's cemented. I mean, if you're comparing him to, like, Chris Bosh, right? I mean, Chris Bosh used to get uh, mocked, you know, mercilessly. And but his I, I list think of accomplishments. Chris Bosh turned into a much better player than Kevin Love has been the last few years. I think Kevin Love is solid, but Chris Bosh was like elite in his role. And and Love has never really gotten there. And you might be underselling quite how awesome he was for the Wolves. Because when he was a little doughier and could kind of like no. bounce people around in the post, like he was, he was pretty dominant. Specifically when you look at the advanced stats, but like... He also, a lot of that part of his game has sort of atrophied over the last few years. I will Andrew, come agree on. with you 100% that he would take the trade off 10 times out of 10. And I think his life has worked out well. And I was in a Banana Republic a couple weeks ago and I walked in and said, man, I'm, I'm living the Kevin Love life here. So I'm, I'm glad that he has, has found success in all kinds of different ways. But... The question is appropriate going forward because if LeBron leaves, Kevin Love is going to be on the market as well. And I think like there has to be an honest conversation about his value. Yeah, well, he's good. He's an all-star. He's not a top 10 player, but he's very good. Uh, I think he would you know, be in that 20 to 25 range sort of if you're ranking guys. There's no way he would want to go back to being that doughy guy because that doughy guy who had so many 20-20 games in Minnesota would just not survive in playoff basketball in 2015, 16, 17, and 18. He had to make that transformation. It was sort of like, you know, 
uh, Darwinism, right? And the old version of Kevin Love <laughs> might have, <laughs> you know, racked up some MVP votes and so on and so forth, but that was going to be a dying breed. And I give him a lot of credit for recognizing that because a lot of guys don't, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, I don't want to change my game. I'm going to do what I do best. I need to be down there on the block. And uh, Kevin Love rolled with all the punches. He really turned himself to a great high volume three point shooter. And he got more comfortable, you know, facing up, being away from the basket and and playing off of LeBron, which, as we've seen, is not as easy as as it uh, first appears sometimes. You know, a lot of guys have had success alongside LeBron, but other guys haven't. And I think Kevin Love absolutely is in that category of guys who've had success with with LeBron. Now, should he be the number one guy for Cleveland, though? That's a different question. Like, if you're Cleveland... If LeBron leaves, do you just immediately trade Love so you can start over from from scratch? And I think that is a very fair point. I don't think I would want to be rolling into next season in Kevin Love in that alpha role. Yeah, and I will say I have a couple responses. First of all, it's funny you mentioned Darwinism because as you were talking, I was thinking in my head, I was like, you know, Love was kind of like the canary in the coal mine for traditional big men in the small ball era. And I don't know if he entirely died, but he definitely suffered a little bit. And it's been tough to watch. And you're right that under the circumstances, he has evolved to make himself useful. And uh, I don't know. I I think that the question I, I like, he's definitely not coming back to the Cavs if, if, it's, if LeBron leaves. And I think about it like, I wouldn't be super thrilled if the Wizards traded for Kevin Love. Like, I, I, I don't know what the ceiling is for for a team like that. Um, I the the two teams I could see him on potentially. Right, Keith, Keith Morris has such a high ceiling. You can't you can't <laughs> sacrifice the Keith Morris ceiling. Well, I mean, look, on, you have man. to give people up to get to get Love. I mean, I don't know. Like, if the, if the Wizards could trade Kelly Oubre for Kevin Love, of course I'll take him. But like, you're gonna have to give up assets, and I don't know how much value he really has. I think. Put him on the Pacers if the Pacers can get him somehow and put him next to Miles Turner and play him with Victor Oladipo. I'm very in on that team. If you put him on a team with like the the Charlotte Hornets, maybe I could see that working out and being a little bit more fun than it probably sounds. Nothing about the but, Hornets sounds fun right now, but. It- but- Here's the thing, Andrew, though. I mean, we I can defend how good he is and how good he's been in Cleveland, how great his life has been. But I can also say at the same time is he's not going to command a ton on the trading market, right? Like if we have guys like Jimmy Butler and others, you know, with multiple years in their contracts who are not really being traded for that much, yeah. I don't think Washington would be breaking up its core to land a Kevin Love. Or I don't think, you know, Indiana would necessarily have to do that or... I could see Oklahoma City being interested in trying to get Kevin Love because he's a guy who actually likes Russell Westbrook for whatever reason. It's um, true. Great point. So I, in any of those scenarios, I think that you're you're trading him in part. He doesn't have a ton of value because his contract's so big, right? But then also, as you're mentioning, like he's not a true A-list guy. Like He's a supporting guy, and that's going to decrease his market too. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, look, if the Wizards can get it for cheap or you know throw in – Jason Smith's deal, like who knows? I would be a hundred percent on board. I just don't want to yeah. give up like Otto Porter for Kevin Love. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Don't beggars can't be choosers, Andrew. You're out here saying oh, I don't really know which all stars I want. Come well, on, man, look, look at your roster. There is no question that I am a beggar this summer as a Wizards fan. <laughs> but um, next question is from Will, who says I have some questions based on Lavar Ball's reckless takes this week. What did LeVar say? 
Okay, so here's what he said. And there's been a lot of reckless shit from LeVar Ball. And initially, I saw a, a clip of him warning LeBron about coming to LA. And that did not become a controversy. So I think that clip must have been from like nine months ago. But it's amazing that that ever happened. Um, and also, he said... I don't know how he's going to come back. Uh, And this is about Paul George. He says, you can't sell me a Rolls Royce and talk about how you just changed the engine. I don't want that Rolls Royce anymore. And this is in reference to Paul George's knee injury. And uh, (laughs) I don't know, man. By the way, that's from a website. Because after I saw this email, I I went and looked up what LeVar Ball said. And that's from a website called... Lonzo Wire, which I guess is an offshoot of USA Today that they have started to to track all all things ball family. So that exists too. I don't know. I I will say this. Um I don't really feel like engaging sincerely with anything LeVar Ball says, but his involvement in the Lakers summer is amazing. And I also think that like one of the easiest ways for LeBron James to immediately win back like any fans he might be jeopardizing by leaving Cleveland would be to show up in LA and declare war on LeVar Ball and be like, trade Lonzo within 72 hours or I'm backing out of this deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it would already be done. I think that would be a precondition, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're, <laughs> I really if you're do. LeBron... Yeah, no, I, I'm not joking here. I was a little bit joking there earlier at the beginning, uh, you know, with my spoof phone call between Magic and Lonzo. But if LeBron goes to the Lakers, as much as I want to be the guy who proclaimed LeBronzo and get all the credit for that, because that would really be like a career cinching moment for me, I think it would be more likely than not that LeBron, uh, LeBron would be sort of be, you know, taking over the reins and Lonzo would be on the way out somewhere else just because. They would need to package together a couple of their young guys to get a third star, you know, whoever that might be. Um, They have two max salary slots to add guys. That's LeBron and somebody else. But, you know, that probably isn't quite enough to get LeBron excited about, you know, jumping into the Western Conference. And so I think, you know, just kind of dismissing, uh, you know, some of those young players, but also all of the affiliated drama and just sort of nonsense and, and letting that be someone else's problem. If I was LeBron or his people, that would be the top of the list. The last thing I would want to do is have, you know, LeBron versus LeVar, you know, nonstop, like (laughs) off-court drama sort of polluting this like Lakers hype train that would build around LeBron. I mean, that would just be such a bad look for him. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I told this to somebody at the finals. I was like, look, I, I have zero reporting, zero like concrete insight into how this is going to go but in my mind as i've envisioned this for the last six months like lebron says yes to magic and like it's all conditioned on trading lonzo and it's funny because the lakers fans are starting to really feel themselves and there was a genie bus tweet last night saying don't ever underestimate us and like the the return of Lakers exceptionalism is something I'm absolutely here for this summer. I think it's going to be really fun to watch them all become insane and insufferable again. Um, and I enjoy Lakers fans. But the one place where we diverge is they genuinely think that Lonzo Ball is going to be really, really good. And I just don't really see it. I, like The shot is so broken and there's not a lot of explosion at the rim. And so... There's a lot of times when people will be talking about this Lakers roster and will we'll mention 
Lonzo as untouchable alongside Brandon Ingram, and I just put them in two completely different classes. Yeah, I think they're both touchable, too. I mean, if you have the opportunity (laughs) to get LeBron, I I don't think that those guys are going to be standing in your way. I thought they both played well last year on balance. You know, I was impressed with both Ingram and Ball, but if the calculation is like we can guaranteed make the playoffs and have LeBron here and be like, you know, sell the most jerseys, be the center of the NBA universe, even if it's LeBron, Paul George, and 13 minimum salaried players, if you're the Lakers, you do it. (laughs) Like Just scrap the whole thing and just take that LeBron ride. Why not? Hey, See, what do you listen, think about the idea, though, that what? I was alluding to earlier of having the core trio in L.A. be LeBron, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard? Because you could you know, basically have the Kawhi homecoming, trade off as many of those young pieces, Kuzma, Ingram, whoever else, you know, Ball, whoever else is necessary to get that um, Kawhi trade done, dump Deng's contract in the process. And obviously, you'd be very top-heavy as a roster, but you would have... Now, two Durant stoppers plus guys who can switch on to Curry as well. I mean, that would, wouldn't that be basically the premier big three LeBron could form this summer? Uh, it's, it's conceivable to me. You know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's yeah. not a pipe dream to imagine those three guys together in the same team in LA. Uh, yeah, it's not. It would be a, a pretty significant risk. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't feel like, elated trading for Kawhi Leonard like I think there are reasons you do it because obviously like healthy peak Kawhi is amazing um but there are also like some pretty big red flags there that would would give me pause and not enough pause to not do the deal but like so if if they if they if that team actually comes together I think there's going to be a lot of hype in July, and for me, it'll probably be like more of a wait-and-see situation because we just don't really have any idea what we're getting with Kawhi. But as a draft nerd who really loved Josh Hart, I would love to see him run point with that team and be thrust into the spotlight. I don't know who they would get as, a, as the big in, the, in that mix, but it would be really like, – like because I think you get those three guys and then start to – like piece together the rest of the roster with high priced or not not high priced but like elite buyout options and it would be fun it'd be like getting the avengers together yeah man that's a dream lineup you got josh hart caruso lebron (laughs) (laughs) paul george and Kawhi leonard interchangeable all the way super small ball i love it no let me uh let me ask you this question though like in terms of a big three because lebron loves this idea of the big three if you could have if you're lebron and you could pick any two free agents who are available this summer to to form your big three, just assuming that KD is not going to be a part of it because he's you know, repeated multiple times that he's going back to Golden State. If you could pick any two other guys, free agents or guys who are trying to force themselves to be traded. So you know, it could be Kawhi Leonard, it could be Chris Paul, it could be Cousins, Paul George, any of these guys. Which three is it? Which three is what? Like your dream trio, if you're LeBron, like you and, and two other guys, who's your dream big three? Oh man, if I'm LeBron, the one piece on the chessboard that I would be eyeing this entire time is Anthony Davis, and we've been down this road before. I just like, if I'm him, I'm saying Magic. I am ready to come to LA. Paul George is ready to come to LA. Now trade every other piece you have, every pick for the next five <laughs> years. Let's get Anthony Davis to LA and really make a run at this. And 
I don't think they have enough. I think the the Pelicans are kind of unreliable narrators in this situation and and really like have no idea what they're doing. But uh but you know, if the if the Lakers put up everybody like all of their young guys at once, that's a really good trade package and Brandon Ingram specifically I think is going to be really good. I mean, he's he's the same age as Jason Tatum and was just as effective as Tatum was all year. So, like that's nothing to sort of like shrug off as as like a poo poo platter, but um, but I don't know. Beyond that, the the Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron mix is uh, super exciting. I'd be into it. I'll give you credit. That was a, a big three that I had not conceived of because I just assumed Anthony Davis wouldn't go anywhere. That would well, be the dream. As Maybe should. <laughs> LeBron should just go to New Orleans. And they could petition to move New Orleans to the Eastern Conference, and he could win both ways. You know? Oh my God! Yeah, that'd be great. And I wouldn't put it past Silver. I think if LeBron really does go west, it's really going to force Adam Silver's hand this summer uh, to start really thinking about like realignment and everything else. But um, we have more LeBron talk to get to. But first, Ben, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Hims, and actually, I'm going to let you tell me about today's sponsor. So hit it. Did you know that 66% of men lose their hair by age 35? And the thing is, by the time you really start to notice your hair loss, it's way too late, Andrew. That's two out of three men losing their hair by age 35. That will be way too late once you realize it. It's much easier to simply keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Do you have any bald spots, Andrew? Is your hairline moving further and further back? Is your forehead growing like you're taking HGH? What happens in a year from now if you just keep losing your hair? It's going to be even worse. So I've got a solution for you, Andrew, for hims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. <laughs> Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. Well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions will help you keep your hair. Yes, there are no snake oil pills, no gas station counter supplements. Prescription solutions backed by science are what Hims offers you. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to forhims.com. It's so easy. All you have to do is answer a few quick questions and a doctor will review and prescribe you. And to make it even easier on you, all of the products are shipped directly to your door. Order now, Andrew. Our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for the full details. This would cost you hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. This is such a better deal. Here's the website, forhims.com slash floor. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash floor. Forhims.com, Andrew, slash floor. All right, check it out. Let's get back to it now with a quick question from Ethan who says, did you guys watch Bob Myers and Steve Kerr at the Warriors parade this week? What did you think of the subtle jabs at KD? So this is your guy, man. So I'm going to cede the floor to you and and see if you can explain what that whole scene was about. There was no subtle jab, Andrew. This was outrageous. <laughs> it was 
absolutely deserving of a public apology from Bob Myers. Now, Bob Myers was kind of bantering back and forth. He was trying to be all jokey-jokey with their television uh, guy, uh, Bob Fitzgerald, and he sort of made some allusions to how you know Steph Curry earned his max contract because he was there from the beginning, and he was kind of just jokingly saying that he he hadn't really meant it when he told the media that Kevin could have any type of contract that he wanted this summer because he had earned it with his play during uh, this season in the finals. Uh, and then he essentially said, well, you know, Kevin just joined us after the fact. So, you know, he's not really worth every penny. You can't really structure every uh, deal like he wants to, sort of like Steph had the previous summer. This was an outrageous statement to say after <laughs> Kevin Durant just delivered back-to-back finals MVPs. And I'm not kidding when I say he needs to apologize because at last year's parade, Steve Kerr somehow forgot to thank Steph Curry uh, yeah. during his speech. And it was a huge flap. The Warriors fans got all up in arms, and rightfully so. I think sometimes Warriors fans are a little bit too defensive of Curry. But in that situation, it's like, why are we even having this parade? Like, would this parade even be possible without Steph? No. And how you know Curry slipped Kerr's mind, I'll, I'll never know. But he did the right thing. He reached out to reporters and you know put an on-the-record apology to Steph Curry. And I think the same respect is due to KD. I mean, this guy was the golden goose, Andrew. And you're going to go and just spit in the golden goose's face. Andrew, just massage those golden eggs. You know, make sure everyone realizes what this man has brought to your franchise. I just thought it was completely, completely uh, unnecessary. And by the way, whenever KD does leave, whether it's, you know, two years from now, as you're on the record reporting, uh, suggest, uh, or if it's you know some other point in the future, don't you think everyone's going to look back at that moment and be like, well, was he ever truly a warrior? Was he ever really a part of the family? I think that's going to happen. Yeah, well, and I think that's a real dynamic. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed this. Of course this. it is. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> of course it is. That's why the... you don't bring it up. <laughs> yeah. The choppy waters around the yacht that you're on with Rich Kleiman and Kevin Durant. Uh, but, you know... You had smooth sailing there during the finals. I, I it, the thing is, it just it confirmed the weird vibes that I think a lot of us suspected were there all all year long. And um, I don't know. I, we're we're gonna look back at this as one of the strangest eras in NBA history. I thought Zach Lowe had a really good balanced column about that this week, where he basically made the point that we've just never seen a player as great as KD willingly play the sidekick like this. And it doesn't have to be bad or good, but it's definitely weird. And I, I, if you look at KD's reaction to those jokes, it didn't feel like a guy who was in on the joke. And I, I just feel bad for him, honestly. Like, none of this has been as cool as it should be for him. And I think... He wants to leave, but isn't quite ready to make that move. He doesn't necessarily have the right people around him, and he's just kind of stuck there. And it's tough. It's it's just kind of a strange deal. It was the people who were supposed to be having his back rubbing his nose in the same kind of criticisms. It would be like if Steve Kerr like downloaded one of your rants about KD, memorized it, and then like delivered that as a (laughs) halftime speech. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, we'll see. By the way, in like two months or so, when there's nothing to talk about in August, I'm going to come on this podcast and scream at you about people choosing KD over Steph for finals MVP this year. But for now, I feel like we've got bigger fish to fry and it's, it's time to move on. It's best for everybody. Sounds good. All right, cool. Um, well, look forward to that in August. For now, uh, we have a question from a different Ethan who said, 
Since the Warriors win, I can't check Facebook without seeing LeBron photoshopped into a Sixers jersey. So if LeBron goes to Philly, does that prove that the process was a success or does it compromise the process and actually mean that it failed? P.S. I listened to my first open floor podcast a year ago. Happy one year anniversary to me. Happy anniversary, Ethan. What do you think about process LeBron, Ben? No, I think you're the process scientist. I mean, you love dissecting this from every angle and finding new ways to anger the Philly fan base. So let, let me hear your take. Okay, so <laughs> I do have some takes. Number one, I think it's unequivocally a success just getting a meeting with LeBron and being taken seriously by his people this summer kind of proves that it all worked. And the whole point of the process was putting themselves in the conversation for superstars and or titles and they're there so in that way it worked I also think that there is a real possibility that LeBron shows up in Philly and after two weeks looks around and is like I don't want to spend the next three years with Ben Simmons it's time to move him it's time to move Fultz and like he could he could really like accelerate the unraveling of the process and it, like we could be looking up at 2019 and and be talking about like process in memoriam um but i don't know the that, that's part of the reason that looking at all the options on the board i think that philly is actually the most entertaining destination possible for lebron because i think it comes with the highest upside and the darkest uh, downsides, and it, it would just be kind of fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if this is too far outside the box, but I kind of felt like the process just died when Hinky left. You know, I, I thought that sort of like marked the official end of it, and everything that happened with Brian Colangelo, especially, you know, his his abrupt end here, to me, that sort of only reinforced that feeling. Like, if there was ever that track, I mean, I guess Brett Brown sort of, represents the process to a certain degree because he was a major face of it and he he developed so many of the guys uh, along the way but to me the process has been dead and so we're already into a post-process reality with or without LeBron Uh, and I agree with you that if you brought LeBron the the key pieces who were sort of accumulated during Hinky's term would be uh, exiled probably more quickly than not uh, but I think it's time as, you know, and this might be hard for Sixers fans to sort of, uh, you know, wrap their heads around, but I do think it's time to sort of move past this process era as a fan base. I think it's actually healthier for everybody now that they've, you know, they've got uh, Colangelo's head on a platter, <laughs> like they've succeeded <laughs> in, in getting vengeance for Hinky. I think it's time to move past that. And actually, if I was Embiid, I would come back next season and rebranding it. I wouldn't be referring to myself as the process. I wouldn't constantly be saying trust it. I would just let all that stuff die and uh, you know turn over a new leaf. And I say that with or without LeBron. Yeah, I mean, I actually agree with you, but uh, because there's no question that it would be healthier for everyone to move on. I don't think that that's the way this is going to go at all. Um, I think that like, you had the hinky years as the first act, and then you had the Colangelo rise and fall via burner account as the second act, and then the third act is where it's going to get really weird, potentially with another superstar in there, and uh, who knows who the GM is going to be. Markel Foltz is working with Drew Hanlon right now, and there's just 
there's a lot of reason to believe and there's so many different ways this could go wrong. And so I think that's going to be kind of like the final act of the process. And I think that the way, like your point about Hinky moving on is a good one, but Joel Embiid just personified so much of the like uh, fragile hopes of the process and then so much of what made it like so incredible when it when it finally came together that if i think as long as he's there the process is still sort of alive spiritually but um i i wish i didn't think about this so much or know so much about it but i think that's probably how they feel well like compare this whole kd drama with steph right where he's not as beloved as steph was and he's sort of respected, but not really, you know, cherished in the same way. If you look at like LeBron going to Miami, the Heat fans really rode hard for Wade. Like he was absolutely their guy, but they they made room for LeBron. I mean, there was definitely a deep level of appreciation and respect. The fact that he chose them during his prime and carried them to two titles. I'm wondering if you would have more of a Katie Steph dynamic though in Philly, whether you know, kind of you know, Simmons and Embiid versus LeBron, because a lot of LeBron's success would have to come at their expense, maybe in a way that it didn't come at Wade's expense. Yeah. And kind of similar to how, you know, Kevin's rise for these last couple of years has at least to some degree, you know, come at Steph's expense as well. You know, if, you know, look no further than the finals MVP trophies that, you know, definitely some Steph fans are sort of upset about. And, and you just mentioned earlier, which I tried to blow off, but now I'm, I'm bringing it back up uh, because I do think that tension would be real in Philadelphia. And I think if I'm LeBron, even throwing aside all of the Colangelo stuff, when you go to a team, you don't want there to be really any question about the pecking order. And especially if you're LeBron, you want to be the story. You want everything to be revolving around you. It's yeah. you and your sidekicks. That's sort of how it's been, right? And I'm not sure that that would be the dynamic in Philadelphia. I mean, I think that uh, Sixers fans would always have such a higher level of loyalty, especially to Embiid, but also to Simmons, that uh, LeBron would kind of be checking in as like the third favorite son. And that's just, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be a deal breaker, but I do think that dynamic is just a little bit off. And it makes me question whether LeBron uh, would really choose Philly. The counter argument would be, he hates Boston so much and he wants to stay in the East and that's his best place to go take down Boston, ruin Kyrie's life and extend his final streak. And if that's what the decision comes down to, then, you know, congratulations, LeBron. I'm just kind of think that the wanting to have center stage all the time aspect of LeBron's personality will probably win out. Well, I think that you're right, uh, that it will probably win out. Um, I, all the dynamics you described are why I want it to happen because I think it would be a, a total mess that at the same time probably has the highest upside of any option on the board because I don't think LeBron goes to Philly without also recruiting one other star, you know, whether it's Paul George, whether it's Kawhi, like I, I, I think that there it's going to take something else to put the Sixers at the top of his list and that's totally possible. I mean, I have no idea who's actually making the calls for Philly at this point. Maybe it's Brett Brown, but like, I, I think that they're in the mix for some of these other guys as well. Um, and I think if it's four guys, then like, yeah, Joel Embiid is the favorite son. And then you've also got this super team there because I don't think Simmons is even in the same league as Embiid. I think Embiid is, is worshiped like a, a God and then there would be everyone else. Um, but 
the and I would also add the way LeBron would probably sell this if he did go to Philly is like I'm transitioning into a new phase of my career where I'm going to be the mentor to these guys and he's going to be kind of like the the grown up who tries to sort of bring along the next generation one of whom is signed to his agency and I, I like I I'm sure that's that's how he would view it going in and I but I agree with you that we would get like a couple weeks into November and he would f- freak out and want to be the center of the league and the center of the Sixers and like then all bets are off, which would be fun. Yeah, I'm going to mentor Joel Embiid by turning him into a spot-up corner three-point shooter, and I'm going to mentor <laughs> Ben Simmons by exactly. taking the ball out of his hands and, and making him guard Kevin Durant. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I, I can see that for sure. I don't uh, know. I mean, I, 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 from what LeBron was saying in his post-game or press conferences you know, throughout the finals or even the off-day press conferences, I didn't necessarily get the sense that he's ready for the mentorship uh, narrative quite yet. I yeah, think he's still feeling like true. MVP candidate Braun. Yeah, I can see that. I, I The Celtics battles, if LeBron goes to Philly, those would be pretty incredible. Um, and it's another reason to root for it. But you're right. LA is probably how this ends. Um, moving on here. We got a bunch of draft questions, some of which I think we can probably save for next Monday's podcast. But uh, here's one from Byron who says, I am a Doncic believer. That being said, I agree with Sharp. There are questions about Luka's ceiling, which may have been underplayed throughout the year. On the other hand, what makes DeAndre Aiden such a sure thing? Sure, he's really big and can jump really high, but so could Hashim the Beat and Kwame Brown. What do you guys think? So, Ben, I wrote about Aiton this week. Um, you've read it. I don't know. What do you think about Aiton as a casual observer who doesn't really hasn't really spent that much time watching him or thinking about him? Well, first of all, Byron. I mean, come on. Hashim Thabit and Kwame Brown could not jump very high. Neither one of those guys could <laughs> really, you know, wow you with their athleticism. I mean, definitely not the, the beat. The, yeah, the, well, not Kwame either. I mean, I didn't th- feel like he was this amazing physical specimen. I think he was big for a high school kid, but you know he wasn't what? like some crazy jump out of the gym guy. As a Wizards fan who watched Kwame Brown in DC and was all in on the on the hype train with him, and then watched it all come crashing down. I'm still pretty convinced Kwame would have been like a five or six time all-star, if not better, if not for Michael Jordan. I, th- I think that Jordan like absolutely ruined that dude's career and uh, it, it will piss me off forever. I pr- I'll probably never forgive Jordan for it. Um, it was one of like five different things that he did in DC that kind of like ruined him for me forever. But uh, so I'm, I'm not here for any Kwame Brown slander. Okay. That's fine, but can we agree that he was not on the same level athletically as a DeAndre Ayton? Yes, I mean this 100%. this guy. You you compared him to David Robinson in terms of his physique. I think uh, certainly like the, the defined muscles, the size, the speed package. Uh, you know, those are all you know clear strengths for him. I guess one question I had, you know, Ben Simmons a couple of years ago as the number one pick was getting you know, kind of picked apart for his whole LSU experience and, you know, why did he go there and was it because of the family member and, you know, was he trying hard and and this and that. I'm wondering, obviously there's the MCA investigation side of things with Aiton, but I'm wondering why his decision to go to a school that was going to basically play him out of position, you know, and Mm -hmm. and play him at the four rather than the five, 
shouldn't that be held against him more when we're kind of looking at him? Like, that seemed like a really curious move by him or his handlers or whoever else. I mean, was it just sort of the proximity factor or what was he thinking? Because that seemed like kind of a sideways move for a guy who was clearly going to be a lottery pick, you know, coming out of high school. Why go to a place that's just going to misuse you? Yeah, you know, and I think it's it's a complicated discussion. And I touched on it with him, but didn't get too far into it because basically we were talking about the NBA and talking about his life off the court. And uh, the college stuff is still so murky and kind of sensitive for, for him and his people that like we didn't really get too far into it. I think... You know, one of the things that was a factor is that he went to a couple different high schools along the way. There were some questions about whether he was going to be eligible. And he just, I mean, this is a guy, he's a great kid. Like we had a lot of fun together and, uh, and I didn't really know anything about him going into it, but he wound up being super engaging the entire time. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And his story is interesting because he, he really went through the machine of like, elite shady amateur basketball i mean he had some some people that he was living with when he he moved from the bahamas to southern california at 12 years old and uh and eventually like there were some trust issues with those people and aiden has said that like they were trying to kind of separate him from his family and uh and it was just a lot of kind of exploitative stuff that was going on and uh so it got very complicated, and I think what happened is that he, his mom moved to America when he was 16 years old and moved him to Phoenix, and there had already been so much turmoil along the way that like once Arizona was interested and it looked like he was going to be able to get in there, they, it just sort of made the most sense. But as, as you're evaluating him as a draft prospect, I think the awkward fit out there is part of what makes him so attractive because I think on the one hand he was able to succeed offensively despite playing with guards who didn't really know how to get him the ball and he still put up great numbers and I think in an NBA context he'll look even better and then defensively he spent a lot of the year just playing out of position and I, and I, and I think that like there are real questions he's going to have to address but I also he's he's not as bad as he looked at various points last year. Well, what a ringing endorsement. One thing I I thought of <laughs> coming away he's not as bad as he looked and he often played well, out of position. I mean you meant that he I mean, played power forward. No, I know you meant he played power forward, but he also was just out of position a lot too. Um I have a question though reading your story you're talking about him like goofing around and playing golf and eating multiple desserts, and he's always the the laughter, you know, the laughter and the the jokester of the group, and he's teasing his girlfriend. Like the way you painted his personality, there was an awful lot of Dwight Howard vibes, and you hate Dwight Howard, so why don't you hate Aiden? <laughs> That's my question. Are you just not tired of him yet, or why did you come away, you know, fairly uh, impressed by who he was as a person? when you just really despise Dwight Howard and they seem to share some characteristics? Well, that's a fair question. I would push back, though, and say that the issue with Dwight was never jokes. It was that the jokes were, like, aggressively stupid and and got old very quickly. I think Joel Embiid is another person who tells a lot of jokes, 
but he's genuinely clever. And I think Aiton was genuinely clever and had fun being the center of attention. So that's how I would separate it. Like his line about Michael Porter Jr. And like Mike, Michael Porter Jr. said he's the best player in the draft. And Aiton, there's like a beat that passes and he just says, what draft is he in? And uh, like he had a lot of sort of cutting lines like that that weren't quite mean, but just sarcastic enough to sort of win me over. Yeah, no, he, he came off very well in your piece. And like I said, again, I was surprised. I was ready for your backhanded compliment, like, you know, kind of backhanded criticism to come back at him. And it, it just sort of never came. So that's why I asked. Um, the more film that I've watched of him and Doncic, the more I'm kind of leaning towards Doncic. Does that make me uh, crazy? Or do you understand where I'm coming from? I mean, I guess when I look at feel, IQ, playmaking, ball handling, so many of the things that we value from the elite players right now, it's yeah. like Doncic checks those boxes and Aiton through no real fault of his own because he's, you know, a seven footer, uh, just doesn't. And I don't know. I think if I was Ryan McDonough and I was drafting for my job, and I think at this point he really he should be drafting is. for his job, I would be taking Doncic because I would be more convinced that he would be able to make an impact right away because as we've seen for years and years it takes the big guys a couple of years to really uh you know blossom and then I would also just be concerned that if I didn't have an elite sort of playmaker to set up uh Aiton that we would lose a lot of Aiton's ability and I look at Phoenix's roster right now and like what do they do I mean I really think that if they draft Aiton they've got to go and you know card, overpay yeah for a Terry Rozier or somebody who can, you know, do something with him because it's not going to be Devin Booker. You know, this whole like Kobe Shaq conversation, uh, you know, between Aiton and Booker, I mean, that is a real like TJ Maxx or outlet mall version of Kobe Shaq, if, <laughs> if that's what you're trying to put together. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just, I think that Aiton would be kind of rotting a little bit in this Suns environment if they didn't have a real true, distribution-minded guard to set him up. Well, you'll notice the Kobe Shaq comparison did not make my story because I just, I, I don't know how I feel about all that. Um, the, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's interesting though. I, I talked to a, a front office person as part of this story. And uh, and as we talked through Aiton, I think it's, it's a little different than the way you framed it. I think he's actually going to be really successful early on and he will probably come in and and average something like 18 and 8 next year and and will probably win rookie of the year just offensively he does so many things well he can move in space he can hit a jumper he's he's bigger and stronger and more athletic than even most nba big men like he's going to be really successful early and uh and i even think like athletically he has all the tools to be decent on defense um, I mean, he's not Jaleel Okafor or Nikola Jokic, and he's actually a better athlete than, than someone like Carl Towns even, moving laterally. But um, your concerns are valid once you start to talk about like contending in the NBA. And, yeah, and I think, what I'm saying is, can he translate it to team impact, right? Because like, yeah. even Towns, like Towns had about as good of an offensive start to his career in terms of being completely healthy for, what, two or three straight seasons, 82 games played, you know, 2010 monster nights, putting up 40 point games, et cetera, et cetera. They don't make the playoffs last year without Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. There's, there's no Jimmy Butler in Phoenix. I can tell you that much. And so if we're looking at even the best case recent comps, 
you know, being Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, and you're really trying to make an impact in the standings to save your job as Ryan McDonough, don't, aren't you asking yourself, like, is this guy going to be better than Anthony Davis? How long are we going to wait until he's going to be able to pull us into the playoffs? Is it going to be three years, four years? I think that's a very fair question to ask just because of the, the way the game has changed. It's totally fair. I'm just saying, if I were Ryan McDonough looking to cover my ass, Aiton is the guy you take. I think Luka is going to really struggle in the first year or two, um, and Aiton will look awesome in the first year or two. But then down the line, there are going to be real questions about his hoops IQ and how quickly he processes the game on defense. And like from the people I've talked to, it sounds like the spectrum for him is somewhere between Andre Drummond, who has never really won in the NBA, and Joel Embiid, who has succeeded in the games he's played, but does so largely because he's like absolutely brilliant uh, and and is really good at processing the game, particularly on defense, and and is super skilled on offense. And so, like those are the areas where Aiden is going to have to kind of leap forward in order to really like contend in the NBA. And it's it's a really impossible curve to to be dealing with for for good big men like you kind of have to be amazing to matter so why is Luca going to struggle to acclimate to the NBA given that he's had so much success on the uh, the professional level you know with his national team as well given that he's isn't he the smartest prospect in this draft in terms of basketball IQ and vision and feel mm-hmm. and all of those things why is it just that he needs to really get his body right? I mean, why do you think he's going to be such a slow acclimator? I mean, I, to me, if you're saying DeAndre Ayton can put up a lot of empty stats on a bad team next year, he's going to have this big impact. Okay, sure, that's fine. It's but not totally what I'm saying, but yeah. Well, okay, but you, you get the distinction I'm drawing. Like, do you really think that Aiden's going to be powering a winning team next year? No. Given the challenges that are going to be facing him? Okay, so then why is it going to be so much harder for Luca to do that out of the gate? That's my question. Yeah, well... Luca, here's the thing, and this is actually kind of a good way to wrap up the Aiton question, is like, I just don't think that this draft is very good. And I think in a lot of other years, there would be players who would go above someone like DeAndre Aiton at number one. I just don't think that, that Luca is it has as high of a ceiling as DeAndre Aiton. And, and, and DeAndre Aiton has a better chance of getting to that all-star level than Doncic does to me anyways and, and and it's not really it's not just his body I think that like he's naturally slower he looks slow in EuroLeague and it, that's going to become an even bigger issue once you get him to the NBA and unless he starts hitting 40 or 45 percent of his threes like his his life in the NBA is going to be more complicated than it has been in Europe and I think everyone who cares about basketball should be rooting for him to be awesome and I am. I, I when, when he gets here next year, like I'll be rooting for him to, to be great somewhere. I think I'm hearing he's probably going to end up in Memphis, um, which would be like that would be a fun team to root for. But I, his his ability to be more than like Hawks level Joe Johnson is uh, I, like I'm not convinced. I think he's like half Hito Turkoglu, half Joe Johnson. And uh, that's a good player, but it's not as good of a player as as Aiden can be. Don't you feel like if he drops to four, like you're suggesting that the odds that one of those three guys taken above him is going to have a significantly worse career than he does? I mean, I think someone's going to get really a lot of flack for passing on Luca, And I think that would be a a huge mistake, especially in the two and three spots. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate on Aiton. Uh, 
I think he's the the most polished and uh, of all these big guys, I can easily see why he's sort of been placed at the top of the the list just in terms of sort of his combination of power and strength and uh, you know mobility and all of those things. But I, I still come back to like just the value over replacement for big guys. I mean, if if Towns is really being rendered ineffective in the playoffs. If, you know, Davis, as talented as he is, is out in round two. If Embiid is running into, you know, positional issues uh, against the Celtics. If, you know, Al Horford and, uh, you know, is, is probably the most valuable, like, center kind of in the playoffs, you know, yeah. when we say. Or or Kevin Love's playing a lot of minutes at the five in the finals. It's sort of like, I guess, okay, sure. Like, <laughs> if, if this is going to be your guy. I mean, I, I could just see a lot of 2010 nights that don't amount to much in the foreseeable future for Aiden. That's and that's my concern. I totally agree with you. And I think if the right wing were there, then it would make a lot more sense to look at someone else at number one. I just don't think that that player, there's any player with a comparable ceiling and a comparable floor to unseat Aiden. But I, your concerns are valid. And I also think like a lot of times we talk about big men and the way they struggle on defense in the small ball era. But I would say it's just as easy to take them out of their game offensively with the, with the switching that happens. I mean, if you're pitching it to Joel Embiid, who again is like one of the best case scenarios for, for a big man in, in today's league, like you're giving him the ball 15 feet from the hoop and asking him to create against like a six, eight guard who can do everything like a Jason Tatum type or Jalen Brown. Like those guys are able to bother him. And I PJ Tucker was able to bother Kevin Durant. And like, I just like the offense would worry me just as much if I were a team that was looking to win a title. But I think that's like Aiden will probably be able to get the Suns to a a level of respectability that has been kind of inconceivable the last like four or five years. And then that's when there are going to be other questions to, to answer about whether he, he can like get them to the, the highest level. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't really like this class either, to be honest. I mean, I think the two premier sort of ball handling type guys, uh, well, I guess three would be Luca, Trey, and then Michael Porter Jr. is kind of, you know, cast as sort of a, a combo four type score guy and, and obviously had huge high school scoring stats. I mean, all those guys have gigantic red flags. I mean, Porter, the health, Trey, the size, of course, in his defense. And then I think Luca, as you've rightly pointed out, is, you know, the speed factor off the dribble. Like how much can his feel overcome maybe the, the lack of foot speed or, or quickness or, uh, you know, burst ability off the dribble. I mean, all three of those guys have pretty you know, pretty major red flags. I think that being said, I would still be considering those type of players before a lot of these bigs because you know, these bigs who are in this range, whether it's Bamba or Jaron Jackson or Bagley, I mean, don't those, I mean, I can kind of see Bagley as like, okay, just pure talent and an upside, you know, yeah. being kind of a top three guy. But those other guys who I named, aren't those usually the type of guys who are sort of like late lottery, like, you know, around eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like that range of player like in a good draft year, it just feels like you know, they're kind of in those spots this year by default because all 100%. the guards and all the playmakers just don't exist. Yeah. I mean, like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a perfect example of someone who, if he was the eighth pick, I would be really, really excited about. Because I think in theory, there's so much to like there and it's definitely worth like a project for a team to say, all right, let's see if we can turn this dude into the next Al Horford. Let's see if we can turn this dude into the next Draymond. But 
there's there's such an absence of talent at the top that now you listen to draft conversations and people are talking about him as if like he is the next Al Horford or he is he's already like the next Draymond and like I don't know there's a lot of uncertainty there he he had some flashes at Michigan State but like didn't really put it together for for very long and uh like but I would still take him over someone like Mo Bamba, who I just, I mean, he's like a slower Rudy Gobert. I don't care if he can shoot threes. Like, it, I, it, I don't see the appeal. Yeah. I mean, again, I like, I like Bamba actually as like a concept, but he's the kind of concept that sort of like Capella, where you'd want to bring him along and have him sort of understudy Dwight Howard and then slowly develop into a starting center and then you know, turn him loose and he has, you know, you use him in sort of spot minutes to get his crazy block rate and his confidence going. And, you know, you use him very strategically on offense and then sort of by like year four or five, he's a real player. Like you're telling me I have to use a top five pick to, to grab that guy. Or like, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, like he has to be sort of like the face of your team. If you take him, you know, yeah. at that spot, because, you know, Dirk retires now he's the guy. I don't want any part of that. You know, that's a huge burden and responsibility to put on a player who I just don't think is, is that ready to do it? So uh, I don't know. I mean, this class is fine. I'm not trying to just dismiss it completely, but you know, I think the there's a little bit of like grade inflation here for some of these big guys. That's what I'm I'm seeing the same thing, and I, I would say the thing that makes this draft fun is that coming into next week, like there's still just enough room to talk yourself into the ceiling of all of these guys, and I would bet that like two or three of them are going to wind up being amazing and, and, and genuinely like all-star level superstar level type guys. And then like the other seven are going to wind up being just really disappointing and frustrating. And so I think that like that sets up some crazy stakes going into next week. And uh, we've got to talk about Bagley. We've got to talk about Trey young Michael Porter. Uh, there's a lot to, to get through, but um, we'll save that for draft week. You know, I, I think we've had a, a good sort of first pod of the summer here. Um, can I tell you about one of my favorite moments from the Aiden thing? Of course. So this was on night one uh, where we were playing golf and we had just met everybody and I didn't really know any of them that well. And so we were all at Top Golf. Aiton went and uh, he was pretty funny and his trainer went, his buddy, and everybody got up there and just, was just kind of screwing around. And then I got up to swing and, and do my round and I am not good at golf, but I randomly hit like seven or eight perfect shots in a row. And, and Get out of here. Yeah, it was like, and it was completely silent behind me with the whole group just sort of like watching. And then his his trainer finally goes oh so we got a ringer out here you're out there playing with wilbon every day huh and the whole everybody just starts making fun of me for being good at top golf and i'm terrible but uh it was a good own i, I deserved it tiger sharp golden bear sharp <laughs> this is a whole new level I, I mean i don't know what this says about your street credibility i, I know you, i could probably barely it, it hit really, a golf ball off a tee yeah it killed my street cred that was that was the the upshot of the whole thing is i was immediately a nerd for the rest of the trip yeah you were like hey guys you want to go shopping at vineyard vines after this or, or what do we have <laughs> totally. what do we have going on tonight <laughs> it was really terrible but uh on that note 
Good talking to you. We will both be in New York this time next week. Uh, Look forward to the Sports Illustrated Draft Show next Thursday. And Ben, take it easy, man. Yeah, Andrew, I am looking forward to it as well. I think, first of all, we need to encourage everyone, uh, first watch that show next Thursday, but also realize it can be an interactive show. If you email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com with draft-related questions or arguments or debates, you could see us yell at each other about those questions in real time. So go ahead and consider doing that. Also, check out our page on Apple Podcasts. Search Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. We have been killing it on the reviews, Andrew. Well over 1,100. And that's not hyperbole. That's a real number. I'm very proud of that number. Um, Andrew, until next week in New York City, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.